My name is Harpatwala. I'm an engineer, and I want Peak 40 health. Welcome to Peak 40, the podcast that brings you the tips, tactics, and stories for living your best life in midlife. If you're in your mid-30s to 50s, Peak 40 is the place to get actionable advice on the nuances of nutrition, training, recovery, and mindset in midlife. For the full experience and other valuable resources, register for the Peak 40 weekly newsletter at drbubs.com forward slash peak 40 to enhance your lifestyle and start making midlife your best life. Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Mark Bubbs. I am your host for the Peak 40 podcast. And today we're going to answer a question that I get time and time again with clients. And that is, where do I start when building out my diet? Where's the first place I should look if I'm trying to upgrade my nutrition choices, my dietary choices so that I can so I can feel better and have better energy and, and get through that hecticness and madness and busyness of midlife? The answer to that question is protein. And I'm going to share with you insights from two leading experts, world experts in protein research, Dr. Theo Spoglu from Leeds Beckett University and Dr. Rob Morton from McMaster University to discuss the importance of protein, not just for overall health, but as we age, as we get older. And of course, in our 40s and beyond, muscle mass is something that we start to lose gradually. And of course, it plays a really key role in our health. You'll also hear from Dr. Susan Kleiner, a sport dietitian and researcher working in elite sport, elite female sport, who's going to share with us the importance of protein for body composition. Before we jump in, though, why is protein so essential for your body? Well, proteins are the building blocks of life. They build everything in your body, from your red blood cells that provide oxygen to your cells and hormones that support energy and satiety, to immune cells that fight off bacteria, neurotransmitters that influence your emotions and thoughts, and muscles that support your movements and, of course, longevity. If you are a house, protein are the bricks. The busier, the more active, and the more stressed you are, the more bricks your body needs to maintain that health. And of course, in midlife, this can very quickly catch up with you. In this first clip, you'll hear from Dr. Theo Espoglu, who will discuss the current recommended dietary allowance for protein of 0.8 grams per kilogram body weight per day, and how Protein experts like himself and many others believe that number should be higher based on new evidence that's emerging over the past few years. So have a listen to this clip and I'll catch you on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Stuart and his group have done an amazing work. And uh, I totally agree with with him. It, it, there is a need. We have to increase that point 0.8. I'm really, I'm shocked actually that the point 0.8 is still out there. You know, people think that the point 0.8 grams is adequate. Um, the, you know, there have been studies in the prodigy studies, and there is lots of uh, lots lots of research keeps coming through, and it's not just from Stewart's group. They have done um, lots of work, but we know probably 1.2, even 1.5, uh, you know, uh, maybe more appropriate for older individuals. So yeah, it, I'll give you an example here. Let's say that we know that um, think of a person that needs to hit 
30 grams of protein per meal. They need about three meals a day. That's 90 grams of protein. If we go with a 0.8 grams and someone is 50, 60 kilograms, there is no way you're going to hit that. So you're not hitting the optimum protein intake per, per meal. So if we, if we approach it that way. So really, in order to achieve the protein intake recommendations per meal, the 0.8 grams is not sufficient. And also, as we get older, we tend to suffer more from, they're, they're more likely to suffer from leg, low-grade inflammation, they're more likely to be inactive, etc. We become less anabolic, um, uh, we develop anabolic resistance, etc. So the reason is we need to eat more protein. With a 0.8 grams of protein, the majority of people, they're not going to hit, uh, they're not going to achieve uh, their needs. You know, it's not going to be optimum to maintain uh, good muscle health and ultimately good uh, muscle function, which in turn will result to good quality of life. Yes, sarcopenia, um, key causes, if we, if we forget, if we exclude age and um, disease, because disease, it can be a cause, a main cause of sarcopenia, Physical inactivity, disuse, if you like, uh, and nutrition, are inadequate nutrition, are key contributing factors to sarcopenia. So the more physically inactive we are, the more likely to suffer from sarcopenia. And we don't have to be older people uh, to suffer from sarcopenia. There may be, uh, someone may be a couch potato, mm-hmm. or someone may have suffered an injury, um, or for whatever reason, lifestyle changes, etc., um, they may uh, they may follow have a sedentary lifestyle for a, an extended duration. That could result to sarcopenia. And then it's anorexia, um, diet. If we don't eat enough and we don't eat enough protein in particular, again, that's a, may, a key contributing factor to sarcopenia. And if you think about it, if we focus on muscle and um, now I'm going to move a little bit back. I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'm going to talk with my sports science uh, hat, if you like, here. Um, when it comes to muscle, and when I teach to my students, I talk to the, the students about the importance of muscle growth for force-generating capacity. And typically, and that's not, uh, as you uh, uh, know very well, bigger muscles doesn't necessarily mean stronger. But Mm. if we manage to increase muscle size, for most cases, that will be associated with an increase in muscle strength. So so we increase, uh, so we need to achieve that. So how do we achieve that? We need to be in positive energy balance and we need to be in positive nitrogen balance. We can increase our body weight or or the size of our muscles, let's say, if we are in energy balance or if we don't get enough nutrients, how are we going to rebuild this muscle? And what's really crucial here is uh, is protein, dietary protein, uh, because dietary protein will provide you with a essential amino acids that the human body cannot make them. And these are the building blocks of muscle mass. So really, if you want to optimize rates of muscle protein synthesis, muscle growth, we need to have adequate protein, high-quality protein that provides you with all the essential amino acids, 
they're non-essential amino acids. They're not as important as the essential amino acids. And you also need to be in energy balance. We need to eat enough because otherwise, even if you get more protein, that protein, if you don't get enough food, enough energy, that protein will be oxidized, will be used for other purposes to maintain other bodily functions. Um, I know I can, <laughs> hopefully I answered your question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. And, and Theo, you know, to give people a, a frame of reference here, let's say for age-related sarcopenia, you know, after the age of 50, what type of, of losses in strength are we seeing and potentially on average year after year? Okay. Very, this will vary, um, but typically you would expect 40, 50. I would say from even yeah, earlier, from the age of 40, about 1% uh, per year muscle, muscle losses. But that could be much higher if you're physically inactive. So the more physically inactive, the more likely that the losses will be greater. All right, let's unpack some of Theo's insights there. First off, the RDA for protein intake at 0.8 grams per kilogram body weight per day is just simply too low. As Theo points out, if you aim at that target, you simply can't hit enough protein per meal if you're someone who's 60, 70 kilograms. And so increasing that daily target to 1.2 grams per kilogram per day, which in my book, Peak 40 is one of our pillars. That sets your protein pillar, which means if you can get used to eating that 1.2 grams per kilogram body weight per day of protein and divide it through the day and repeat that so often that it just becomes second nature, that's a huge win. And you can certainly go above that and we'll hear from Dr. Rob Morton here towards the end of this episode with some added benefits. But really, this is all about minimum effective dose. How little do we need to get a lot of the benefit? And when we're trying to maintain energy and recover and build some muscle, maintain muscle in midlife, avoid the startings of that age-related sarcopenia, then being able to hit that target and not have to think about it as you go through the busyness and the madness and the hecticness of midlife is a really big win. Now, in this next clip, you're going to hear from Dr. Susan Kleiner, who will talk about the importance of protein intake for weight loss, specifically in females. Of course, this clip also relates to men. But she works at the highest level with female athletes. And so if you are an active recreational female athlete, pay attention to what Susan says here around the meal frequency with protein. And for that rest of the population here, it also resonates in terms of the importance. So again, check this out. And we'll touch base on the other side. Terrific. And when we look at things like protein intake, um, you know, for general population women, you know, how important is protein for trying to trigger fat loss? Very important. Very, very important. Um, so, you know, we we look at sort of dietary data and everyone says, oh, everybody gets plenty of protein. Well, I don't see that. In fact, I you know, it's better now that there's been such an emphasis on protein, but, you know, women in general, especially active women, restrict, either restrict their diets on purpose um, because they are, you know, concerned about weight loss and may have some misinformation. The other is it's really hard to eat plenty and feel empty enough to train. 
And so we're restricting for hours around exercise so that we don't feel too full and have GI discomfort. So um, making sure that women are eating enough protein. Protein is critically important for muscle protein synthesis, or as we say, um, uh, muscle um, recovery, repair, and growth. We also need protein to support all of you know our immune system, our reproductive system. It, it plays a role in so many areas of, of all the systems in our body. Protein does help us maintain our muscle mass as we are losing weight. And it increases energy metabolism and it decreases appetite. So, so it's really our friend during a weight loss plan, but it's also very important whenever we are, no matter where we are as far as our, our body is concerned. And so I recommend at least 20 grams of protein five times a day for most of my athletes and many of my athletes. I It may be six times a day or it may be a little larger serving each time to get in their protein needs. So that means that you need to have protein every time you eat throughout the day and um, not just a bite or not just a little, you know, uh, ounce of cheese. It means that you need to focus on protein at breakfast. With you know, if you're if you're uh, an omnivore, having you know fish or eggs, dairy is easy at breakfast, and 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 getting you know at least three ounces of whatever you're consuming, and the same thing each time you eat throughout the day. And if you're you know, eating mostly plant foods, then making sure that you're getting good sources of protein in your grains and beans and and nuts, and legumes, all of that is really important. Uh, and also understanding that nut milks are not good sources of protein. Yeah, very good point. I mean, it's definitely one where I think a lot of the um, I see in clinical practice of, of, of fear of, of quote unquote bulking up with too much protein is, is often cited. And, and, and as you mentioned, you know, thinking that you can swap out a nut milk for, for traditional milk as well as a source of protein. Um, any other strategies in terms of, you know, whether it's supplements or th meals throughout the day for, for people to be adding in more proteins? You know, again, I think it's, I, there's, there's women who do much better on, three meals a day and maybe one snack or they're three meals a day and they their snacks are actually especially athletic women around their training and um and so and then there's women who sort of are more comfortable grazing and um i really focus on not just the protein but healthy carbs and healthy fats every single time you eat uh, the combination each time you eat is very helpful for having all of the nutrients available that you need sort of floating around in your bloodstream all the time. And uh, that's, that's one side, and it's important biochemically for brain function, for mood. And we know that mood and mental energy uh, during the day, ability to focus, also ability to rest, relax, and sleep at night 
is critical for just healthy functioning of anybody, but it's very important for weight loss. So uh, it's, it's important for helping to control uh, our choices and not panic eating. Uh, and it's also important to help decrease anxiety and coping with stress. And ultimately, rest and sleep at night plays a huge role in our ability to manage all those stress hormones and get the growth and repair at nighttime that really helps us lose weight. A lot of fantastic points there from Dr. Susan Kleiner. Let's review some of those key insights. Now, the first is the minimum amount of protein per meal. So 20 grams of protein is really the minimum per meal that you're aiming for. And again, in the general population, just as Susan alluded to, three square meals is fantastic. We don't need to be overly snacking. And if we do snack, then ensuring that the protein is the first thing that we're focusing on before we build out the rest of the you know, carbohydrates or fats is key. Now, this becomes even more important if you're, if you're active, uh, particularly, again, as female athletes. If you're a recreational athlete, you can consume more meals in the day, but again, the emphasis should first be on that protein intake. And this just isn't to do with only weight loss and muscle mass, although those are two really key components. And weight loss, not just for the aesthetics and looking better, which of course is nice anyway, but when we look at you know, pre-diabetes and diabetes, you know, we see that there are 450 million people around the world with type 2 diabetes, and 90% of the reversal effect comes simply from weight loss. If you struggle with high blood sugar levels, you're much more likely to struggle with cardio, poor cardiovascular health, with lower mood, lower libido. And so you can start to see how all these things are interconnected. Susan also highlights that, you know, from satiety to brain function, again, mood, relaxation, sleep, we're getting all these side benefits when we do hit our protein intake. A keynote as well as this idea that you can't just swap out alternative milks like nut milks for milk because they're just not the same pound for pound when it comes to protein, right? A glass of milk has eight grams of protein. Your oat milk or almond milk or what have you has about two grams of protein. So if you're having a splash in your cappuccino or latte, not a problem. But if you're replacing it for the nutrition, then that's not going to be a like-for-like -like replacement. The only way you could go if you did want the plant-based protein that is best would be soy protein, which also has 8 grams per glass. Now in this last clip, you're going to hear from Dr. Rob Morton, who's going to talk about protein supplementation. How much extra benefit do we get by adding a protein supplement in our diet? Have a listen to this clip, and we'll wrap up the episode on the other side. You know, what did you guys find with respect to protein supplementation and strength? Yeah, well, it was, it was interesting because, uh, like you said, there have been so many conflicting opinions uh, and some conflicting meta-analyses themselves, tons of conflicting individual studies. Uh, so I, d I didn't really know what to expect, but... Uh, uh, to put it out there, we found that protein supplementation during periods of weight training augments changes in muscle mass and muscle strength. Um, so it was uh, it was a green light to the protein supplementers anyway. Uh, but yeah, that's what we found. And in terms of that benefit, you know, what kind of uh, degree of benefit are we looking at here? And was there any, you know, 
differences when we're looking at more of an athletic population versus recreational? Uh, that's, so that's a great question. Um, in general, the benefits were very small, and that's an important message that we've tried to get out as well. Uh, we, the benefit you get from weightlifting uh, is probably about 90% of the benefit or of the change uh, in muscle size and muscle strength. The benefit you get from protein supplementation on top of that is is peanuts <clears throat> in comparison. In fact, it's about 10%. Um, to give you that in a number from the meta-analyses, so <clears throat> people, the studies lasted for an average of 13 weeks. So lifting weights for 13 weeks with or without protein supplementation, augmented changes in fat-free mass, let's say, by about one kilo. So you put on one kilogram of muscle in 13 weeks. And uh, the group that got protein supplementation on average got an extra 0.3 kilos. Uh, and that it had a confidence interval with it. So some people will only put on maybe 0.2 uh, pounds to switch it up for, if that's more familiar, to about maybe one pound uh, of um, benefit um, from protein supplementation. So I, I suppose my point is, is that protein supplementation was effective. It was statistically effective, but I mean, it's, uh, it's largely uh, peanuts in comparison to the actual resistance training. Yeah, I suppose to the naked eye, it's tougher to, to be able to tell versus obviously being statistically significant. And, and Rob, did you guys find in terms of a dose then, in terms of a daily protein dose that was um, you know, sufficient then to meet these requirements? And, and above that, there was you know, potentially no response? Yeah, one of the uh, one of the things that we wanted to look at because there have been other meta analyses, you know, that look at you know just older people, uh, just very resistance trained people, or maybe uh, people who are in the hospital. So different populations, a bunch of different things. But so we ran what are called meta regressions, and meta regressions allow you to look at the effect of covariates, or in plain English, a, me a meta regression allows you to look at the effect of things like protein dose or protein source, you know, if it's soy versus yep. whey, um, et cetera, et cetera. So we look, we did a bunch of those. And what I thought, you know, maybe protein supplementation would be more effective uh, if the participants were given, you know, maybe 40 grams instead of five grams, or maybe they were, it would be more effective if they were given whole foods like eggs or something versus, uh, or eggs or yogurts versus, uh, whey or soy protein. And so we looked at a bunch of those things. And uh, to our surprise, um, none of those things really mattered. And that, that probably is a, a consequence of the, the low efficacy of protein supplementation period. So the effects you're trying to wring out by comparing whey versus soy, for example, are, are minimal. Um, having said that, we looked at, we did, I think what you're referring to is the, the biphasic regression that we did. So that we for that we looked at daily protein intake mm -hmm. because some studies had people who maybe were getting about 0 0.8 grams of protein per kilo per day and maybe supplementation would be more effective in them versus people who were already getting let's say two grams of protein per kilo per day um, so we kind of threw the protein supplementation question out the window for that and just looked at can daily protein intake predict uh, the benefits of uh, 
or the changes in fat-free mass with training. And that was really neat. That number, so the number we came out with is that beyond protein intakes of 1.6 grams of protein per kilo per day, there's no extra benefit of protein supplementation. That's a big takeaway is that how much protein you get during the day in total is, is uh, much more worth your time considering than whether or not you take a protein supplement before you go to sleep or something or uh, after your training. All right, let's sum things up for this episode all about protein. Your number one goal should be to set your daily protein to hit that minimum of 1.2 grams per kilogram per day of protein. And as best you can, divide that over the course of the day. That's going to not only help with preserving muscle mass to support longevity, but also with things like weight loss, satiety, mood, sleep, etc., If you're looking for further benefits, you can increase that daily intake up to 1.6 grams per kilogram per day. And the use of supplements can be pretty handy here because it's a quick and easy and healthy way to get more protein in. Lastly, be sure to get your protein from a variety of sources. Animal-based proteins like beef, chicken, fish, seafood, and plant-based sources like soy or tofu, lentils, beans, etc. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please share, download, and subscribe. It's a big help to the show. And just a reminder, we do have our Peak 40 Nutrition Coaching course on at the moment. We've got a small group for the summer. So if you'd like to jump into that 12-week course, head over to drbubs.com forward slash peak40, and you can use the promo code peak40 to save $100 off that course. Fantastic. Any questions? Hit me up at Dr. Bubs on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Use the hashtag Peak40, and we'll see you next week.